You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It was their homecoming. We came in here. We beat them. Okay? And we got the brass baby! And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here to recap uh, a win. A win is a win, is a win, is a win. Uh, uh, Saturday afternoon in Indiana at Bloomington. We got the brass platoon back, and uh, it was ugly. But here we are, 7-0, chopping, moving on. Uh, we got the bye week coming up, and not sure how many people feel about that win, but again, it's a win. And, Scott, we're recording this uh, Sunday afternoon here, uh, and we have some speculation that's swirling that we'll touch on in a moment here. But uh, I guess, how are we doing? We're doing good. We're 7-0. and the boys accomplished what they set out to do. We knew this was a trap situation. We knew there was a lot on our mind with the rivalry game coming up in a couple weeks going into the bye. We knew it was their homecoming. We knew it. All these different things were playing into it. We went on the road in the Big Ten. We won. We covered the spread. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Sure, I would have loved to see a big blowout, but there was a lot working against us that could have really hamstrung this team and it tried to do throughout the game. First half was, it was hard, uh, but we came out with a win and uh, we're seven and oh, and that's where we wanted to be going into the, the big game in a couple weeks. So couldn't be happier. Um, it's tough to win games in this conference. It's tough to win games on the road in this conference, especially this division. So uh, you got to be happy about that. We get a couple weeks here to, uh, to relax a little bit, watch the chaos unfold around the country uh, this coming weekend um and uh and set our sights on on the big game so um yeah it's a good sunday yeah bye week comes at a perfect time for us to be honest uh we'll touch on that basically as far as a scheduling note so for those who are following the program again we appreciate you very much uh you guys are the best and if you are not make sure you're subscribed to the standing room Spartans on uh, Apple on Spotify, wherever you're listening. If you are on Apple, leave a review for us. We really appreciate it. It takes about eight seconds. I would say to, to leave that review. And um, basically this week we are going to, because of the bye week we're going to do something a little different, same schedule as normal Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'll, we'll get you covered. 
Uh, Monday, obviously, here is you're listening to it, so not really a big surprise there. Wednesday, we're going to do a kind of combo episode. We're going to do a mailbag, which we've kind of teased. We've already got a couple questions for. I'll put out another call for it uh, probably tomorrow on Tuesday as you're listening. Um, so we'll, we'll make sure that we get a, a ton of questions. You know, we're at about the halfway point in the season. So it, it lines up really well for that. And then, uh, the other thing is we have some superlatives, uh, that we're going to get to as well. I'm going to put out some fan, uh, votes for that. So, uh, and we'll kind of narrow down some candidates for these, you know, simple, like, offensive player of the year defensive player of the year at at the halfway point right unsung hero surprise player best moment uh we'll we'll get some different superlatives going we'll get some candidates uh that scott and i will decide we'll get four uh finalists if you will and then we'll have you guys vote on twitter we'll we'll try to have some fun with that as well Friday, we'll do our picks. Uh, we won't have a Michigan State pick, but we'll still do our picks for the rest of the slate that I'm sure you guys will be watching. Next week, uh, we're going to try to sort out uh, maybe a guest for the episode. We'll, we'll you know tease that if we, if we solidify something. Uh, but we're going to do kind of a Michigan special on Monday. We're not even really sure what that entails yet, but we'll get to it. Wednesday, we'll pregame the game. And then Friday, of course, we'll have our picks. So as if you were curious of how we're going to handle this idle week, that's kind of what it's going to look like. Uh, before we get to the Michigan State Indiana recap, we got a special word from our friends at DraftKings who have an even better promo this week, in my opinion. Basically, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Um, I mean, you, you can pick, there's always a gimme NFL game. This week we were watching, it was the, the Rams over the Giants. They just bludgeoned them and everybody saw it coming. Uh, bet $5 on any NFL team to win their game. If you do, $200 in free bets. If the DraftKings Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. You can still play for huge cash prizes all year long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we are a very proud member. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Scott, we got a, we got a lot to talk about with this game. It's going to be a little bit of a hodgepodge. Uh, before we do, though, uh, I want to touch on this because I promised our friend uh, that we would, and also because it's it's kind of a national story right now, uh, and you know I want to make sure that we hit on it while it's still relevant because, well, I I don't think it'll be relevant for too long to be honest. But um, to set it up here, I got a question. We we put out a little mini mailbag here, and it's from Pudge Weebles, Pudge Webbles, Pudge something. Uh, 
at Pudge, W-E-B-E-L-S. He says, we're 7-0. and Chances Tucker sticks with us long-term versus leaves early in his tenure to an even bigger payday. Side question, does our new AD hire improve the chances we keep Tucker? This is relevant, of course, because of the news that LSU has officially mutually parted ways with Ed Orgeron, and there has been some speculation about Mel Tucker being a possible candidate to fill the vacancy at LSU. So I want to hit, give this over to you first, give you the first crack at it. Um, is Mel Tucker going to LSU? Is Mel Tucker a lifer at MSU? Is it somewhere in between? Uh, help us sort through this. Mel Tucker's not going to go to LSU this year. Um, it's not going to be saving 2.0 even earlier. Um, listen, I was reading, I think it was Colton Pouncey had a spot on how Mel Tucker turned his program around in the year and a half that he did so far. Um, and he was talking a little bit about the, the interview process and the fact that I think it was Beekman and Holler as an assistant AD at the time was in the room as well. And, and they sat down with Mel in the interview um, and Mel Tucker brought out a binder um, and said it was the most prepared they'd ever seen him in an interview. But the important part here is that Mel Tucker opened up his binder and said, this is how we can win national championships at Michigan State. He didn't say this is how we can bring Michigan State back to competitive football or maybe get back to Indianapolis. He said, this is how this plan that I'm showing you is how we can win or compete for and win national championships at Michigan State. It's a place that Tucker believes he can win a national championship and we're paying him potentially national championship contending salary, top 15 salary in the country as an NCAA head coach. Um, could LSU pay him a little bit more? Maybe, maybe, right? But he's going to the SEC West, which is just as hard, if not harder, usually regularly a little bit harder to win in than the Big Ten East. Um, this year, maybe not so much. But um, yeah, I, I, there's just what, there's not enough of a draw. I mean, I know the SEC has, has been kind of the paramount football conference for a long time. But if you're looking at where you'd rather be successful, given the same circumstances internally. I think the Big Ten East gives you a better platform. It gives you – it's going to get you the same kind of visibility. It's going to get you enough good games to solidify kind of your name and, and build your own legacy there. And, and I know you'll touch on this a little bit more. Being a back-to-back one-and-done coach would really, really damage your reputation long-term uh, as you're continuing your career and – uh, so I just don't see that happening. Do I think he's a lifer at Michigan State? Obviously, that's yet to be seen. No, probably. I don't think he's – I think he's an ambitious type of guy that, you know, he he's he's going to look for the biggest and the best things. And, and Michigan State, I mean, if Mel Tucker does what we hope he's going to do, it's it's a hard place to, to keep a coach like that. I mean, the NFL would come knocking and um, – It'd be tough. It's, it's possible, certainly. I just I don't think Mel Tucker is the kind of Mark D'Antonio guy or Kirk Ferentz where he finds his spot and he and he you know hangs with it for fifteen years or whatever it might be. Yeah. So between the two of us, we got different process, same result. Uh, Mel Tucker is he's not going to LSU this year, and I it's not because it's it's an equal or similar job. LSU is a better job. LSU is 
we saw it a couple of years ago. They are capable any given season with the talent that they can recruit to not only win a national title, but that 2019 LSU team was arguably the greatest college football team of all time. Like you can do that at LSU. I don't think you can do that at Michigan state put together. What is again, arguably the greatest college football team of all time. Um, and, and as far as the pay LSU can, and, and has been willing to pay more as of, you know, this is the USA today is, is really the best place to find these coaches salaries. I know that a lot of it's pl- public versus private versus where's is this money being allocated. But according to USA today, Ed Orgeron was getting paid over $9 million to coach at LSU. Uh, Mel Tucker's contract, which, which is large is, about five and a half. So the money is, is certainly a big difference between LSU and Michigan state. Now would MSU be willing to go higher? You know, if, if this, if let's say, because I think worst case scenario for Michigan state in this circumstance is that Mel Tucker kind of uses this as a bargaining chip to say, Hey, look, I got other people interested in me and, uh, you know, let's renegotiate that contract. Could he get an extra mill out of it? You know, maybe even a little bit more, you know, sure. I, I can definitely see that, but I think it really comes down to the fact that Mel Tucker, as, as far as reputation goes, like you can't just go into Colorado as a, as a first time head coach and peace out after one year and then go to Michigan state and get give them basically a year and a half. If we say the COVID year was a half a year uh, and then peace out with your reputation as a recruiter, you know, how are you going to go into any living room in the country and and try to recruit that five-star kid and say, yep, I'm going to be there the whole time that your son is, is playing at, at LSU or Nate fill in the blank school here Um, you know, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be supporting him as, as that father figure that we often look at coaches as, um, I, I just don't see him being able to pull that off. And I think he knows that. And I think the only reports as of, you know, what is it? Uh, Sunday afternoon at about, uh, I don't even know what time it is right now. The only thing that we have seen is that LSU is interested in Mel Tucker. We haven't seen anything that Mel Tucker is interested, that there's mutual interest, that there are meetings. I think this is a non-story. I, I think it's, it's going to be a non-story very quickly, at least. Uh, but is Michigan, is Mel Tucker a Michigan state lifer? Also probably not. He just doesn't really seem like the type of guy who's going to coach at Michigan state for the next 30 years. Like you said, like a, like a Kirk Ferentz or something whether he goes to the NFL, whether he, he takes a different job. I, I don't see that being a realistic possibility. So um, I don't know, maybe it's just a personality thing, but I, I don't see that happening. So now that that's out of the way, I, I wanted to make sure we at least touched on it. It's big news. And I told our boy Pudge Weebles that we'd get to it. Um, the other mailbag question while, while I'm at it here, since we're, we're on the topic from uh, this will kind of lead us into some Indiana talk from Z 500 underscore TJ, which is very complicated. Um, I'm going to kind of sum this up. How did Vegas know that our offensive line would play terrible against Nebraska and Indiana? 
um, seemingly always able to stop the run and pass rush without sacrificing a safety in the box. Um, and that made Kenneth Walker and Peyton Thorne basically impotent as he mentioned, as he, as he describes it. So I guess Scott, to lead us into our Indiana coverage here, like what did Indiana do? What did Nebraska do a couple weeks ago to neutralize the Michigan state offense in ways that only those two have been able to do? Is it a cause for concern in the long run? Like where do you go after watching Indiana basically neutralize us for four quarters on Saturday after our only evidence of that being Nebraska a few weeks ago doing the same thing, but mostly just in the second half. Yeah. I mean, Michigan state is not great when the other team has an above average front seven on offense. I should say Michigan state's not great on offense when the other team has a strong front seven. We saw it against Nebraska. We saw it now against Indiana. You look at the rest of our, our schedule. I mean, Northwestern sometimes has strong defenses, but looks like a, a kind of a doormat this year in the Big Ten. Who else? Rutgers. I mean, Western Kentucky and Miami certainly don't have the best defenses. I mean, we just haven't seen that strong of defenses this year. Nebraska and Indiana have above average nationally and at least average in the Big Ten defenses in, in their front seven. And and they play disciplined football. You know, when you look at Michigan State, you got three things you got to think about. You've got the running game, you've got the short passing game, and you've got the long passing game. And you can kind of take two out of three. They took away the long passing and they took away the run. And they gave us kind of the short passing and they, they dared Peyton Thorne to win in that. And we haven't really won a game that way. And it was a great game plan. And they did similar to what we did to Derek King. They said, Kenneth Walker's their best player. The front seven's job today is to keep him inside the tackles. And the broadcasters made did a good job of pointing this out as well. Keep Kenneth Walker inside the tackles. Let your linebackers do their work. And it's going to be really hard for, for Kenneth Walker to beat us. And then you take away the big plays over the top because Michigan State has not moved the ball consistently with shorter passing game. We'll get into that a little bit. How did Vegas know? I mean, Vegas has a lot of professional people who – uh, are paid to figure this stuff out. And there's a lot of other factors. I mean, Vegas wasn't sitting there thinking exactly the way that this tweet was, was written, but you're on the road. You're against the desperate Indiana team at Michigan state. Didn't look good against the best front seven they've seen so far this year before Indiana. I mean, there was a lot of things that it kind of tea leaves that you could read. And, and Kevin, to your credit, you mentioned a lot of those in the Indiana preview last week. And that's why you said we'd win by two. And honestly, this kind of felt like a two point win. So I think your prediction was pretty solid. Um, yeah, there's just, unfortunately, there's now a blueprint to, to slow down Michigan state, thankfully. And we'll talk about the defense. Thankfully the defense is coming along to kind of play mop up duty here. Um, but yeah, I mean, they took away Kenneth Walker, their defensive ends kept contained. They forced him up into the middle and then they have a solid linebacking crew that, that did the rest. Yeah. I, I put out a poll on Twitter on Saturday uh, asking, or, or this was actually today asking a pretty simple question uh, The kind of takeaway from Saturday's game. Are you more concerned about the offense or happy about the defense? And it was like 54, 46 the last time I checked happy for the defense, which tells me that there are a lot of people that are very concerned about the offense, rightfully so. Um, 
like you said, the, the bye week comes at a good time. And it was something I, so I was, this is something that it, it's one thing that you kind of hate being right about. Like I, I feel validated as a quote unquote football analyst to say like, man, this Indiana defense is actually really good guys. Like we're kind of ignoring this. Um, they are really good. The linebackers played an incredible game. And we kind of talked pre-recording uh, about this, like their defensive line did what they were supposed to do against our offensive line and just kind of held them up didn't allow them to get to the second level and that allowed their linebackers clean. Uh, they, they weren't getting offensive linemen up in their grill. And, and so that when they were allowed to just roam free and, and find the gaps, shoot the gaps and any hole that was open by the offensive line was closed immediately by one of those linebackers. So they played an excellent game. Um, I was concerned about the Indiana defense, but I, even I didn't think it would be this bad, right? Like we just got totally neutralized. There was, there were long stretches of that game, including basically the entire first half where we had nothing. Um, And it wasn't necessarily a play calling thing, although there was one terrible play call, which we'll get to later. Um, It wasn't necessarily a, a Kenneth Walker thing, I, when I watched it live, I, I mentioned this to Scott before, like I watched it live and I was thinking, man, there's a couple of these plays where I, I think there's a hole there and he just has to get North and South, North and South. He's doing too much dancing around in the backfield, trying to make people miss, um, just, just play the Jordan Simmons role and just get through that hole, get your seven, eight, nine yards or whatever, instead of trying to dance around and get 50. And then I rewatched it today and that really wasn't the case. I, I found a couple spots where, all right, there was a hole there. He could have gotten five yards. Instead, he tried to make somebody miss and he got one yard. Um, but it, it wasn't really a, a Kenneth Walker, but it was an offensive line problem. And, and it was a good defense that we won against, but it was an offensive line problem. And I think this rotating offensive line business is just kind of getting old. I don't, I still don't get it. I didn't really get it from the beginning. Like I, you remember it was after the Northwestern game and I, I brought it up on the podcast as some like, huh, did you notice that? That was kind of quirky. That was weird. Huh? We did this like hockey change thing. Yeah. That was kind of weird. And it just has continued and continued through seven weeks now. And it doesn't seem to be working it throws off, I think, any chemistry that you can build. The The whole thing about going into every year with every team is like, how many starts has this offensive line had together? Because it's such a, a unit that relies on cohesion and chemistry. And you're just, you're cutting that leg off right off the bat by doing this rotating thing. You're not allowing these guys to get comfortable together with their communication and maybe it's something where we are reading into it more than it needs to be, but it just seems like it's throwing something off and it's not working. And yeah, that, I mean, in, in run blocking, they weren't able to get up to the second level, second level to block a linebacker and, and to open up a 10, 20 yard chunk play. And in the passing game, they were okay, but any time that Indiana blitzed, they seemed to get home because again, a lack of communication on the offensive line or whatever it might've been. So 
I don't, the offensive line just really killed this offense today. And that's something we've said many times over the last year, uh, the last few years, but is, is something we haven't really said many times this year, other than well, Indiana and Nebraska. So again, we got two weeks, Chris Kapilovich can get to the lab and, and try to figure this thing out. But yeah, the offensive line was a glaring problem on Saturday and Indiana's got a good front seven, but when we're staring down the barrel of of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, those are some damn good front sevens that are a hell of a lot better than what Indiana put out there on Saturday. Yeah, at the end of the day, our offense had 3.9 yards per play. Um, we were talking, you know, the last few weeks about how Michigan State's ranked X, fifth, seventh, tenth, I don't remember what it was, but, you know, noteworthy. Um in their yards per play, they were at like seven and a half, seven point eight, and eight yards per play. And we were like, what have we ever had an offense like this? Um, and this is the power of going up against a staunch front seven. I think both of us were kind of holding back our, our judgment on this offense until we saw a staunch front seven that could be disciplined and that could fill gaps properly. And, um, and, and it takes a secondary also. One of the challenges we had was that we, we rely a lot on the play action, long developing routes, and they were good in one-on-one on the outside. Naylor and Reed usually had a guy on their hip. Um, Reed had that pretty bad drop. Uh, second quarter, um, I don't know if it would have been a touchdown. He was behind him, probably would have gotten tracked down just given kind of the catch he was about to make. But either way, it was going to be 40, 50-yard gain, put us in scoring position. Um and it was a bad drop, but other than that play, it really wasn't there. Um, any, any catches we were trying to make were well, well contested. And the uh, thing with that secondary... read one was too, was it was early. It was like second drive or something. So at that point, we're still thinking like, all right, well, we missed on that one, but we'll be all right. We'll, we'll get another one. Cause we've, we've been getting them all year. It just never happened. Yeah. And the challenge that we face now, right, is the question is how are we going to move the ball? If a team at the end of the day, it's not that hard to neutralize the big passing plays. If a team commits to it, it should open things up underneath. But if you have a strong front seven that can stop the run when they read run with a good secondary that can contain things over the top, there's, you have to be able to find things in between. And that's something that we're not seeing right now. And there's a couple areas I think it needs to come from, and it, they're both linked back to Peyton Thorne. One is his ability to throw the short pass. We throw a lot behind the line of scrimmage. And again, if you have a strong front seven and a disciplined defense, that's not the hardest thing to neutralize. We have to be able to throw it into the teeth of a defense. Your your quick routes, your five-yard hooks, your, five, you know, your slants, your five-yard um, – crossers things like that that you have to Thorne has to be able to make those throws and unfortunately his first interception was on a throw like that he put it behind Mosley a little bit on a crosser and it was an interception and we've seen interceptions earlier this year from Thorne that's they're not always they don't always look like glaring errors but it's usually it's just that the ball's one or two feet away from where it needs to be it allows a defender to get a hand in the honey uh, the honeypot and, and it pops the ball up for a, you know, a tip ball interception. It doesn't really look like it should be on the quarterback, but it's a, it's a makeable throw that it just takes that accuracy. And, and maybe that's a part of Peyton Thorne's game that hasn't come along yet. And so the put, you know, the play calling hasn't really called on him to make those, but in a game like this, you have to have something like that. The second area, I think we really could 
kind of focus a little bit more on is, is Peyton Thorne's legs. And we saw it a little bit on a key conversion. Uh, well, it wasn't a conversion, but it was a seven yard gain to put us in position for our first field goal. Uh, that ended up being a 51 yard field goal. We absolutely needed those seven yards to get it. And unfortunately you saw a fumble that we didn't lose, but it was a fumble on one of those read plays on third down third and one. But in any case, I think that's an area that Peyton Thorne has shown that he can gash a defense a little bit here and there with his legs. And I think after last year and Thorne's tendency to break the pocket and scramble this year, I think they wanted to pull back the reins and really get him focused on staying in there and throwing the ball. But I'd like to see a little bit more of a balance because he does have that athleticism. It was one of the things we were excited about in his game as we were going through the quarterback battle this off season. And we just haven't really seen it utilized as, as a key in this offense uh, yet this year. And I think when the, everything else is getting neutralized, you got to figure out how to utilize the athletes with the balls in their hand. And, and Peyton Thorne is, is the first guy to touch the ball every play. Yeah, that quick passing game is something we just haven't seen. And Ohio State makes a living on that stuff, right? Those just shallow crosses. It's your your quarterback's only throwing the ball eight yards. But when you trust your wide receivers are better athletes than their defensive backs, those things go for 20, 50 yards all the time. And and you can kind of accept that knowing that, all right, worst case scenario, it's an easy completion and we'll get five yards. But best case scenario, he breaks the tackle, slips it, and and goes to the house. Like that can be a part of the game plan. I wrote down a couple things too. You mentioned play action. Is play action doesn't have to be what it has been a lot of times, where you're going play action from the eye, you're dropping nine step drop deep into the pocket and and trying to launch one downfield. I mean, you can do play action out of the shotgun, just a simple, it it doesn't really affect your drop. It, it doesn't really affect your reads too much, but it affects the linebackers reads and it freezes them for a second. Do a little bit more of that. Just run a simple route concept, but just add a little play action in there from the shotgun. Add some more QB bootleg to this. So that's something you, you mentioned Thorne using his legs. We really haven't seen a whole lot of that. You know, get him moving outside the pocket and give him a shallow route. You know, we I was watching today the the L.A. Rams. Sean McVay does this all the time with less athletic quarterbacks. He'll he'll run that little QB boot, he'll roll him out to the right. He'll give him a tight end that's basically running across on the line of scrimmage as more of a check down and say like, hey, if he's wide open just dump it to him. He'll go get seven, eight, nine yards, whatever. Um, he'll give him a deep route, you know, Hey, if it's, if it's there, hit it. And if it's not, if nothing's there, you're already on the move, go get your three, four yards, running it slide, you know, do it. We haven't really seen a whole lot of that either. That's something I would love to incorporate a little bit more. Again, we've got two idle weeks here that, that we can kind of work some more stuff into the, into the game plan that I would like to see. But um, it, one note I also had on play action are, are really only our big passing game plays of the game were first down play action, which I think is just objectively the best play call in football running play action on first down. It seems to always work for every team in football at any level. Uh, so do that more, but um, no, it, we had two passes of 20 plus yards and our longest run was 13 yards. It, it was just not our day. And, and hopefully 
that's more of an anomaly than a recipe going forward. Like you said, you know, Indiana had tape from Nebraska and, and what did they do in the second half and how can we incorporate that? Hopefully this isn't now a thing where, all right, Michigan's going to watch this tape and they're going to do the same thing and neutralize us. And Ohio state's going to watch it. Like, hopefully we can adapt. Hopefully we can adjust. That's what great coaches do. That's what great players do. And uh, yeah, we got a couple weeks to do it here before a key matchup, obviously. So let's move on to the, to the more positive side of the ball because the defense played out of their minds for most of that game. I mean, I wrote down at halftime, a, a, a kind of, PSA to Twitter because people were getting frustrated. This bend but don't break. It's not really a bend but don't break anymore because we're not even giving up yards. Um, at halftime, the offense was only on the field for 10 minutes. And that defense was put out back on the field time and time and time again, three and out, three and out, three and out. They were just getting put back on the field every single play. It seemed like it, our defense was on the field. I mean, our offense was never on the field in the first half. They only gave up nine points and they scored seven on their own because the water boy, Cal Holiday, took one back to the house early in that uh, second quarter. I want to say um, defense played out of their minds. They gave up only 105 yards in the entire second half. Uh, where do you want to like, how is this defense? We've seemingly turned a corner here and it just, you kind of get that feel where we went from like, all right, this is a pretty good defense well you know we got some pieces here to like hey we might be a a top half of the conference defense we might be a a top five in the conference like this is a legitimate defense now um what has changed throughout the course of this year what's the ceiling what's the floor wherever you want to take this thing so throughout the year we've seen the defensive line as the most dominant group on our defense. It's still that way. Um, Jacob Slade and Jacob Panashuk specifically are playing at an all big 10 level right now. And you mentioned either on Twitter or on the podcast last week that we have eight to 10 guys, depending on who's healthy any given week who are playing first team level defensive line play um, across every position, strong side, weak side, um, one technique, three technique on the inside. We've got guys who can rotate all the way across the line and make plays doing it. But as I mentioned, led by Jacob Slade, Darius Snow, shout out his first career interception. That was Jacob Slade's play. I mean, he, it would have been a sack. He knocked the arm. It caused an interception. It might as well, I mean, it might as well have been a, a strip sack. Um, the linebackers have come along. Quiveris Crouch led the team with 12 unassisted tackles yesterday. He had no assists. He made 12 solo tackles, um, his best game of the year. He's coming along. But I think the team that won that won us that game, the group that won us that game on Saturday was the secondary. It was by far their best game of the year. Um, the safeties continue to play well. Xavier Henderson made more plays. Uh, Angelo Gross is just running through walls every play, um, slamming dudes. But the corners had – specifically the corners had their best game of the year. Kimbrough loves to hit. You can see it. Ronald Williams looks like the lockdown corner that people were talking about. I think he, it took him a little bit to kind of get his feet wet and understand the scheme and, and just get comfortable in our defense. But he had three to five one-on-one outstanding plays on Saturday. Um, Marquis Lowry has 
exploded onto the scene, the combination of Gervin leaving the program and, and him returning from, I think a foot injury. Um, he's been playing as our number three corner and, and doing a phenomenal job. He had one, we were talking about one hit. He and, came inside the box up on Carr, who's a big running back and slammed him. And he's really taken over for Brantley, which is interesting. Somebody mentioned that on Twitter. So I, I forget, I think it was Spartan bot that we were talking about. And uh, yeah, that was kind of Brantley's role for a little while there. And then Lowry has, has filled that. And then some, he's played outstanding ball. And um yeah, and, and Chester Kimbrough, I mean, potentially, certainly one of the plays of the game, the strip sack fumble where he came around untouched on a, on a corner blitz. He, he had a strip sack, and then he popped right back up and jumped on the ball. It was a huge momentum play. I think we had just taken a lead in the second half. or Certainly, we were fighting to hold the lead. Indiana started moving the ball again, and, um, and he jumped in there and made his play. Obviously, Cal Halliday with the first half play of the game, the only reason we were in the game in the first half um with this pick six we, so yeah so I mean, we've been calling cal holiday the water boy on this podcast for weeks now um that was validated by Jaden reed on twitter who who mentioned that he, you know he said quote tweeted uh something from the msu football account and said you know the water boy the other nick did you see the other nickname that popped up for cal holiday i think it was mel tucker that called him <laughs> Rick No Flair. Rick No Flair. That was that was fantastic. That's a great one too. So Cal Holiday's left and right getting new nicknames out here, and I love every single one of them. We're gonna keep calling him the Water Boy because that's what we've been doing since like week one or week two. We 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 nicknamed him uh, Bobby Boucher, but yeah, he had a great game. No, I like you said the defensive backs played out of their minds. Um, Angelo Gross is. I, I was talking to coach Mac about this a little bit on Twitter. Like he plays a lot like Bob Sanders for those who remember Bob Sanders, he played for Iowa and then for the Indianapolis Colts, he was an all pro safety and he was just that he's a little undersized, but he was violent and, and Angela gross is violent, man. That dude comes in with bad intentions. Uh, he dropped an interception, what should have been an easy pick. He's still got that wrap on his hand, um, so maybe that affected it. Still a playmaker on the back end, nonetheless, and just loves hitting people. And, and I love to see that in, in a DB. And it's the same with all these guys, right? Kimbrough loves hitting. Lowry loves hitting. Ronald Williams loves hitting. Super physical. Um, yeah, love it. Kimbrough, clutch. Uh, that that like you said that strip sack was a, a really clutch spot uh, late in the game uh, Mel Tucker mentioned after the game it was basically a layup for him he's like you got to hit your layups and uh, yeah Scotty Hazelton schemed that one up perfect for him but yeah just a really really good game by the defense Jacob Slade you know you mentioned him he had such a good game man he he felt like he was in the backfield every play again uh, and this time it was in the form of a lot of QB pressure. Uh, a lot of times recently it's been, you know, in the backfield making plays in the run game. Uh, he had three times that I wrote down that he was either getting the sack, affecting the quarterback directly. Uh, he was all over the backfield. Simeon Barrow had another good game. I mean, these guys are are just playing lights out right now. And it's, it's something where, you know, we talked about before, um, you know, which is one of those kind of old takes, cold takes exposed or whatever the account is. 
I, it was me I, hand up on, on the pregame, the preview show saying like, man, this offense, there's so many ways to beat you. And the floor is 30 points <laughs> that clearly uh, came back. But in the sense that I was like, well, the offense has so many ways to beat you. I think I, I was just a little bit off. The team has so many ways to beat you because the offense did nothing. And the defense came out, played the game of their lives. Uh, Xavier Henderson, after the game was asked something about it. And he, he basically commented that, you know, the defense has been talking about it. Like they're, they're tired of being the second fiddle to the offense in terms of the, the recognition. And, and they were sick and tired of the way that they're, kind of reputation was out on the line as being just kind of like, eh, they're all right. But the offense, look at them. They're like, no, no, no. We came out. We wanted to make a statement. And they did across the board. There were big hits. Cal Halliday leveled some people. Coiveras Crouch leveled some people. He had a couple of good JOPs. Um, for anybody who didn't play football, the, it's the jump on pile. It's the, you know, the, this guy's clearly already wrapped up. And Quaver's Crouch just came in, you know, just it's it's usually in the form of getting yourself on film because you want to show the coaches that like, hey, I'm I'm giving maximum effort on this play. I'm I'm trying to, you know, come and rally to the ball. Um, I think Quaver's Crouch does it with a little bit more intent to kill, but you know, I I love him either way. He he had a couple nice JOPs, but yeah, like he had a really physical really good game. Um, it, it seemed like every player on this defense that played a significant role on Saturday had at least one or two plays that you were like, damn, Darius Snow, he obviously had the interception, but he had a couple nice open field tackles. Every single one of the DBs, DBs made a couple plays. Um, they would have made even a couple more plays if the refs would have been a little bit more consistent on what is and what isn't pass interference, but that's neither here nor there. Um, like you said, the whole defensive line rotates in and makes plays. Uh, if this defense just continues to progress and progress, this could be the thing again, that we, we talk about what takes us from a seven win team to a 10 win team. What takes us from a six win team to a night This defense could be it, man. And, and if they keep playing this way, you know, I still think, you know, we kind of looking down the road and we'll get to more of this on Wednesday, but Ohio state, it's always going to be a game that you're probably circling as a loss. But when you're looking at Michigan and Penn state, two teams that suddenly are, are pretty even matchups. Maybe it's going to be the defense that makes the play. Maybe it's going to be the defense that, that turns the game around that, that allows us to win one of those or, or both of those games. So um, yeah, tremendous by the defense um, special teams was a little shaky at times. Uh, Bryce Berenger hit a 66 yard missile uh, in, I want to say the second quarter after shanking one in, into the, uh, it, he was trying to, to cough in corner one, just shanked it. I think it was the very next punt, just hit a bomb. Matt Coughlin hit a couple nice hits. Um, a one from 49 and one from 51 or something, both just pure, pure kicks uh really good job from him um special teams in general you know again a couple mistakes uh the return game wasn't quite there but at the end of the day Bryce Berenger at times showed that he can be a weapon and Matt Coughlin showed that he's he at again most of the time is a really consistent good college kicker so 
Um, I guess before we get to kind of wrapping this thing, game balls, plays of the game, any other big takeaways, offense, defense, or special teams that we're missing? No, I think it's just a, a, a friendly reminder game to stay disciplined. We, we still have a little bit of a penalty issue. It's been something that's been brewing uh, in the middle of this season a little bit. We had 12 penalties for 134 yards. Again, some of that is that the refs let a lot of contact go on the corners in the first half. So they started to play physical and then they kind of flipped the script in the second half and started calling everything. I think both teams got caught on a couple of PIs in the second half that probably weren't PIs in the first half, but either way over a hundred yards and penalties. I mean, you're playing against yourself at that point. So got to clean that up. Um, I also, you could tell, and the broadcasters mentioned this as well, that the commentators that, um, you could tell Tom Allen and company went to the rest before the game and said, watch for holds, right? Because our team, I, I don't think this front seven was so much better than anything we've seen that all of a sudden they started grabbing everyone. And I think there were three, four, five holding calls this game. You could tell that um, Indiana went to the ref, said, hey, watch 79, watch 75, watch these tackles. They, they, they get grabby because there were a couple calls that – yeah, we're kind of 50, 50 holding calls and they call them every time today or Saturday. So uh, in any case though, you, you got to contain that 134 penalty yards in a game that was low scoring like this. I mean, that really takes the wind out of your sails and, uh, and you got to clean that up. So yeah. elephant in the room, the officiating was terrible. I, and it was on both sides. There were some plays that, you know, you remember that, um, the play where there was a whistle and nobody knew that the play was still going on and, and Michigan state just got a free 12 some yards. Uh, it was our best run of the day. It was 13 yards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so that one went against Indiana. There were, there were reviews that shouldn't have been reviewed. There were lack of reviews of plays that should have been reviewed. Jalen Naylor caught that ball on the sideline. There's no doubt in my mind. And it wasn't even reviewed. And then there were plays like the, like the Peyton Thorne catch, which might come up later, uh, which was just a ridiculous play all, all encompassing. They reviewed that thing for 15 minutes. And it was like, dude, they needed one replay, one replay. Well, it should have been called on the field. There was sometimes you got these plays like this where, okay, maybe a ref didn't have a good angle. There was a ref 10 yards away, looking (laughs) straight down the line, watching his foot. It clearly landed in bounds and he called it incomplete on the field. I mean, it's just, it's, it's day one, you know, how do you miss it? And again, you go into the review and it's all right. We got one replay. He caught the ball. His foot was clearly in bounds. All right, let's move on. And no, 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 we, we need eight minutes to review that thing. The refs were terrible all game long it was inconsistent. It was on one play, this is a pass interference. On the next play, he does the same thing, and it wasn't pass interference. And it's as a defensive back, you never know what you can get away with and you can't get away. It, you know as a defensive back in the first quarter, all right, I can't get away with this. I have to change the way I'm playing this game. Or, hey, he's letting me get away with this. All right, I can be a little bit more physical today. This game, it was just back and forth and back and forth. And and these defensive backs, you could see Ronald Williams a couple times getting really frustrated because he's like, dude, I did the same thing last play and you didn't call it. I do the same thing this play and you do call it. Like, what am I supposed to do here? That was aggravating as a fan to watch that. Um, I'm sure at Indiana at times was watching that game being like, God, these officials are terrible. Um, 
so that just had to get that off our chest um, before we, we go the whole episode without hitting the elephant in the room that was terrible officiating. And Brock Heward in the booth saying like, wow, look at these officials. They're right on top of this every time. I was like, wait, what? Are you watching the same game as us? I swear that's part of the uh, conference TV contracts. It's like at least twice a game, the commentators have to pipe up the refs because, I mean, to be fair, refs never get positive PR, right? Like nobody's ever like, wow, that ref did a phenomenal job. Well, it's either game, <laughs> either you don't talk about them or they're public enemy number one. So it's a tough job. I understand that, but it, it does feel like this season they've been just in a really bad place that Nebraska Michigan game comes to mind. as just a ref crew that was in way over their head. Um, but anyway, since we're in old man yelling at the sky <laughs> mode right now, these games are lasting forever. Oh my the God. commercial break kickoff, back to another commercial break that should be illegal in all 50 states. Um, the game, I mean, it should have been a pretty fast paced game. There were over 70 rush attempts in this game. It lasted almost four hours. It's just like, uh, I'm, I have, again, I love football, but come on. I have friends, including my girlfriend who are, you know, they're not live and die by football game. People they're they're not watching every weekend. And the amount of times that, you get the comment of something, you know, I'm trying to, I'm going to meet some friends after the game or, or we're doing so, you know, the game's still going on. Like, yep, here we are. Uh, you got to pencil in four hours for a game now. It's, it's brutal, it's, man. It's crazy. And, and on top of that, now you have, if it's not a noon game, you have the game before every time it's coming into your broadcast and you're getting kicked off to ESPN news or whatever um, Fox sports the Ocho. Um, but anyway, enough griping. We love football. We're seven and oh, we've got exciting. We've got game balls to get through. We've got plays of the game to get through. Let's start with plays of the game again. I think there's, well, I guess there's a couple on my yeah, mind. I've few. got one, but, uh, but Kevin, what was your play of the game? Um, no, there are, there are a few and I'll, I'll give my play of the game. And then if you don't, there's a couple that I I'll touch on as kind of candidates, but I'm actually going to go with one that I somehow gets overlooked because there were a couple, you know, kind of, um, I guess more flashy plays in the game, but timing, everything that goes into it, Jacob Panishuk's sack first and 10, um, you know, basically to, to set the stage here, Indiana's got the ball. They're down five. There's about three minutes left in the game and they're driving to potentially win this football game. Uh, they get uh, a carry on first down, and then we got a, I think it was a pass interference. We got a 15-yard penalty that put Indiana at their own 37. And we're thinking like, oh, okay, well, the free 15 yards, and they, they got a good field position now to, to start this drive and potentially win this game. Jacob Panishuk like the animal he has been all year splits a double team goes through gets the sack it's an 11 yard sack and and so it it totally just crushes that drive um they gotta basically throw deep balls to to try to even get back to the line of scrimmage let alone get to the first down marker to keep that drive alive um and and it basically effectively iced the game for us so i'm gonna give it to the jacob panishuk sack late in the fourth quarter Indiana's driving to try to take a lead, if not win the game. And, uh, and Jacob Panishuk step up huge in that moment. 
All right. So that one actually, I remember the play wasn't on my, I have a short list of three here. I'll give you the two that didn't win first. So first of all, Chester Kimbrough's strip sack, um, huge momentum swing, awesome play. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was just well-schemed, unblocked corner blitz. He did what he needed to bat the ball out and then jump on it. Right. I mean, it was just a well-executed corner blitz. We had the numbers and he was fast enough to get to the quarterback before the ball got out. Um, awesome play. Um, second, you've got uh, Jacob Slade blitzing through uh, the A-gap, getting home and impacting the throw to the point that um, I mentioned earlier, Darius Snow, Darius Snow could get his um, interception, first of his career, hopefully first of many. Uh, actually, I'll give you three non-winners. Obviously, the Cal Halliday pick six, who I think is my runner-up, probably deserves to be player of the game, honestly. Um, awesome play. I mean, you could tell the intelligence. He, he sniffed that play from the, the moment it was snapped, even before the snap, he was, he knew where the ball was going. He was there. He made the play. He outran the quarterback, no gloves, didn't need them. Um, but, oh, and it was our only day, points. I mean, it was our only points until, uh, four minutes left in the third quarter was that pick six. So that, that was desperately needed to just stay alive early in that game. Um, and last but not least, you know, some of these MSU seasons we've had 2013, 2015 come to mind. There, there are moments of magic where just things that probably shouldn't have happened just come down from the heavens and give you the inches you need. And when you look back at a game, you're like, I don't really know how that happened but we needed it to happen and it did. And that play today uh, or Saturday was Tyler Hunt on the end around double reverse pass. He's apparently left-handed. He's ambidextrous enough to have thrown the ball off his back foot, getting tackled 30 yards, 30 air yards to Peyton Thorne into double coverage. Peyton Thorne goes up. I mean, he's a sizable guy. I think he's 6'5", but goes up in double coverage, brings it down, gets the foot down, the college reception on the sidelines as he's falling away. I, there are so many things about that play that should have meant it was not a successful play. And, and somehow, I mean, honestly, miraculously, it worked. So I know it's, it's the typical SC top 10. Maybe there was a little bit, maybe there was a little bit more than a little bit of luck involved, but that's my play of the game. It set up uh, the only offensive touchdown we had, which thankfully Tyler Hunt ended up also catching. He gets his uh, kind of his payoff for the big play at the end there. So Tyler Hunt to Peyton Thorne play of the game. Yeah. That's, that's one where you go into the film room on Monday and they play it through one time and they're all hooting and hollering. Yeah. Yeah. What a play. And then he plays it the second time. And the coach is like, all right, Tyler, <laughs> if we ever run this play again, never do this again <laughs> for the love of God. You're a, you're a backup tight end, former punter who just threw it off his back foot into traffic to his quarter. Like, what are you doing? Um, and then, like you said, the cherry on top is that he's left-handed. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? No, is that was a ridiculous play. Um, it well deserved to be a play of the game nominee for sure. Um, and like you said, in a big moment, set up the only offensive touchdown in the game. It, it was it was in the second half. We needed some momentum at that point, and that certainly sparked it. Uh, the review killed a lot of that momentum again, but. 
Uh, what a ridiculous football play. Uh, never do that again, please. For the love of God, that's not going to work twice. Uh, we saw it with the flea flicker. You know, sometimes those plays just they're meant to be one or two time shock plays. They're not meant to be run eight times in a season because <laughs> eventually somebody's going to catch on to it. I made the comment in the group chat. Um, and, and this is just dumb football brain, but I, they ran the, the flea flicker. Obviously it was almost picked off. It, it was just not run. Well, I thought run it, run it the next play who will ever see that coming? Like it, and it just, it's one of those, like, all right, that's just a dumb football fan. Who's like, Oh, ha ha ha. But then you, you start to think about it and you're like, could that work? the defense would never in a million years think you're running back-to-back flea flickers after it just got nearly picked off. Like, why not? I don't know. But um, no, game balls. Uh, I'll, I'll go first here. My game ball, it, you, you kind of hinted at it earlier. It's the water boy. It, it's Bobby Boucher. It's, it's Rick No Flair. It's Cal Halliday. It, it again you mentioned the the pick six like I said it it was our only points on the board until deep into the third quarter that was a desperately needed at the time I know it was early it it was you know the end of the first quarter there but it was two full drives of the offense doing nothing It, it was Indiana's first drive going 13 plays 70 yards And then, you know, you're a little bit nervous at that point. You're thinking, all right, offense isn't really doing anything. Indiana just marched down the field on their first drive. And then, like you said, Cal Halliday just dropped into coverage, read that thing beautifully. Uh, I I think he knew the play better than Tuttle knew the play on that one. Picked it, took it right to the house. Um, He was scooting on that one, too. Uh, And then on top of that, seven tackles. He was really physical. He had a couple nice plays in the run game. He had a couple nice plays uh, getting out to the edge and and making plays near the sideline. We've talked about it all year. He's a sideline to sideline linebacker. He's got that type of athleticism. He's got that type of energy. He had a tremendous game, and it's obviously highlighted by the pick six, which we maybe don't win this game without. So honestly, I didn't really feel like I had uh, a player of the game to give this game ball to. Um, The offense, nobody really stepped up. The offense didn't win this game. The defense did. Uh, I was tempted by Matt Coughlin because he made two. I mean, his first field goal tied his career long, and it did not have an extra yard on it. I'm not sure it even reached the end of the of the solid white line at the back of the end zone. You know, it's like a two yard, it's like a six foot deep white line. And I think it bounced on it. Um, and then a 49 yarder to boot. You mentioned they were both pure. You can tell he's a super senior. I mean, it's his game's coming along and uh, it's finally fine in the distance that he never made that kick the first two, three years of his uh, of his career. Um, and he did it, but we gave him the game ball last week for breaking the record. So for the sake of parody, I'll avoid him. I'm going to give it to Tyler hunt. Um, there's honestly, I want to give it to the whole defense, but I'm going to give it to Tyler hunt. He had the, the play we just mentioned. I don't know where he found the, the magic for that. And he, he scored the only offensive touchdown. Um, you could tell he was, I, I didn't know who it was going to because he wasn't on the screen at the time, but as soon as Peyton Thorne came out of that play action, he kind of turned around and I, you, you could see him starting to set up for the play action, but before he even set up his set, his feet, he just launched off his back foot. And before you could even see where the receiver was, I said, touchdown. 
Because if a quarterback comes out of play action and doesn't even set his feet and lets it go, you know, he's got someone wide open in the end zone in that situation. So Tyler Hunt found the inches. Mark D'Antonio loved to say, you know, you got to find the inches. And in that game, it was all about inches. Tyler Hunt. About grit. Two, grit. It's about grit. It's about grit. Tyler Hunt had the grit. He made exactly two good plays. He had a couple bad plays in pass protection earlier. Um, speaking of tight ends, Connor Hayward also was kind of absent this game. It was not the tight ends day, but Tyler Hunt found the inches, made two big plays, and it was offensively the difference between winning and losing. And you know what was funny about that too is is again they were asking him and you know he's he he did play quarterback in high school, so there is something to this. But he With he mentioned how. He was, he was waiting and, you know, he's, I, I was waiting for the safety to, to clear and then, and then Thorne to come out. And I knew there would be a window there. Like he was reading that as a quarterback would, it's like, okay, that's great, but <laughs> you're still a tight end throwing to a quarterback. I, and I hope that next time you understand that because that's not going to work again, but no it, outstanding play. And again, like you said, he got the touchdown uh, to ice it, which, which was well-deserved. Um, yeah. I don't know. We're, we're seven and oh, it, it really, I think I can speak for most people in saying that we didn't feel super comfortable coming out of that game as the, you know, big 10 contender that we, we might've thought we were heading into it, but, the end result, like you kind of said at the top there, is not only did we win, but we covered. And so when you look at, hey, we we were a favorite on the road. We went back-to-back games now where we, we won uh, at the opposing team's homecoming and covered at the opposing team's homecoming. So we're doing something right, and hopefully that continues. Like we said, uh, we got a lot of content lined up here for the next couple of weeks, so just because the Michigan State football team is idle doesn't mean that we are. Make sure you're subscribed and, and following along with the show. We got a lot of stuff that we're going to incorporate you guys as much as possible, especially over this couple of weeks. It's, it's really tough over the course of the flow of the season to do stuff like mailbags and, and answering your questions and getting you guys as involved as we would like to. And for that, we apologize. But this is kind of a week to to really catch up and get a lot of your guys's takes and questions and, and try to address as much as we possibly can. So make sure you're following along on Twitter and, and, uh, and, and subscribe to the show. So you're getting all these episodes, these couple weeks here, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So um, until Wednesday, I hope everybody has a good start to your week. Go green, go white. Take care folks.